Thanks for joining me for the Friday Reporter Podcast. My name is Lisa Camuso Miller, and I am a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., talking to reporters from all across the country about how it is they do their work and how it is we as communication professionals can do ours better. Well, thank you so much for joining me today for an episode of the Friday Reporter. I am thrilled to have today's guest with me. John Bresnahan and I have known each other for uh, for some time now. I'll not date either one of us by saying how many years, but it's been a minute. And I was lucky enough to be working in uh, the Capitol when he was also working in the Capitol for uh, for roll call. And then uh, he he went on to other bigger and brighter things and, and now is even doing something that's even more exciting and entrepreneurial. John Bresnahan from Punchbowl News, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, how are you? So, John, uh, we've obviously known each other for a couple of minutes, but tell me a little yes. bit about how it is that you came to be a journalist. I guess that's a long story, but um, so I had I had no interest in being a journalist. I mean, a lot of reporters you'll talk to, you know, they work for their high school paper, they work for their college paper. Right. They knew when they were, you know, ten years old, they wanted. I know none of that. Um, I was, I, I, I did high school and I went into the service. I went into the Navy, mm-hmm. got out of the Navy, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I did, um, sales. I did, uh, this is up in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. I did construction. I was in, a, had a construction company with a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, um, I, I, you know, I thought that's would be probably be my path. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1989, I moved down here. Uh, I had my oldest sister live down here and I moved down here from New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, my oldest sister had moved down here and she got married and, you know, she said, come on down to DC. I love it. So I came down to DC and I actually got a job. I was working in a hotel at night with her overnight shift that I needed a second job. Mm-hmm. I got a part-time job at U.S. News and World Report, okay. which, in the, which in 1989 was like a big deal. But I was, was a copy clerk. It's a copy clerk. I, the job doesn't exist anymore. I literally ran proofs around the office. Um, and it's all done, you know, it's all done automatically nowadays, but I hard copy proofs. I would, you know, we would print them out. We'd run them around and people would mark them up and, and edit them. And then uh, I worked 19 hours a week because they didn't have to give me benefits. Mm-hmm. And then, and, um, and then I got hired full time by them. They wanted, you know, is a copy clerk, a production assistant. And then, um, and us news had nine foreign bureaus. I mean, like it was a big deal. I mean, I had 2 million subscribers. Yeah, yeah. And so I started working with a guy who ran the bureaus, the foreign bureaus. He was, he was the, like, the chief reporter, this guy, Kerry English. And he started sending me to editorial meetings and I would, at the editorial meetings, I would, you know, I would be like, you should write a story on this. You should write a story on that. And finally an editor turned to me and said, you know, why don't you shut, uh, shut up. I didn't say that that nicely. <laughs> He's like, why don't you write it? And I was like, okay, I could do that. And then I wrote, I just, I wrote a story, you know, I was like a little short blurb, but cool. that was it. I mean, I completely fell into it by accident. I mean, I saw these people doing this. I was like, well, I can do this. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, but I didn't know anything like my first, I remember that first 
um, the first thing I wrote, they they were like, "Great, where's your source file?" And I was like, "What is a source file?" Well, like, yeah, you were learning I, I on the no job. Idea. Yeah. No, I was like, literally, I had to figure it out. And then I wanted to be a sports writer. Of course, I wanted. I desperately wanted to be a sports writer. I thought that was like, you know, the thing to do. I wanted to work on USA Today Sports. It was the only daily sports national. It was the Mount Olympus of like daily sports reporting. And yeah. I tried to get a job there from US News. I didn't get it. And so I was kind of brokenhearted and I needed a job because I had gotten the bug as a reporter. And so I started, I got a job with Inside Washington Publishers. Mm -hmm. I started covering EPA and they were basically like, okay, here's some back issues and here's an EPA phone book, and, you know, just go to work and get some news. And that's wow. how we figured it out. Just wow. walk, walk down EPA. Yeah. Like I didn't know anything. It was the old EPA headquarters, which is, was a toxic building. <laughs> in the southeast it was terrible yeah and like i would you know i started reporting there and i just you know when you learned how to do it you watched what other reporters did and they taught you this is how you do an interview and you you watched them and you you know this is how you write a story this is how you write a lead this is how you write a feature piece you, this is how you write a news story mm -hmm. and you paid your dues i mean i worked for publications i worked for a publication that had 20 readers at one point and i was like you know, can't, do I have to write anything? Can't I just call them? I'll just call them all and tell them. Right? <laughs> I swear to God, I was just like, That's funny. you know, so, I mean, I, I kind of just fell into this by accident. It was a complete accident that I started doing this, to be honest. That is And cool. some people would say it was a terrible accident, but I think, you know, I think it's worked out for me. I'd say, I'd say. So, uh, so now Punchbowl News is uh, maybe 100 plus days old, brand new publication yes. in DC. And you guys are breaking news every hour. And it's super impressive to me, somebody that's consuming it every day. Tell me what you're, Thank you. what do you, so, you know, what do you care about now? Like, what are you covering? Like, if, if I were to come to you with, with a story idea, what, what should I be thinking about for, for you? I mean, Punchbowl News, our philosophy is all about, you know, we are going to cover the people who make the news. We're going to take you behind the scenes and show you a little bit about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what are they going to do next. Mm -hmm. I mean, anybody can tell you what somebody did. Anybody. I, I, you don't need me to cover a press conference. You don't need me or Jake Sherman or Hannah Palmer to tell you something somebody already did. My job is to take you behind the scenes, tell you what they're going to do next. What are they going to do tomorrow? Right. What are they going to do next week? What are they going to do next month? That's, you know, the people who matter in the administration and the people who matter in the Congress, what are they doing today, tomorrow, next week, next month, six months from now? Tell me, you know, anything that's going to happen, you know, down the road and why they do it. Those are the things we do. So we cover leadership, you know, and leadership very loosely defined. You know, it could be, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer and Kevin McCarthy, mm -hmm. or it can be, you know, committee chairs or ranking members. You know, it could be, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a freshman lawmaker and she, you know, she's taking the lead on some issues. So we'll cover, you know, what are you, who's taking the lead on issues? You know, why are they doing it? What are they doing next? Yep. You know, that kind of stuff. That's what we want. Anybody, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to just give you insight into how these people think and what they're doing next. That's the key thing. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's yeah. huge. And it's huge for, for not just like, it's good for inside the Beltway, obviously for lobbyists and for, right. you know, people that are operating here inside the Beltway, but also really good for corporate America to like, oh, this is sort of, this is how this town thinks, right? So that makes a lot of sense to me. 
What would you say, uh, John, if you were to like look back through the, I mean, you've been doing this for, for a little while now, what do you think? Almost 30 years. Oh now. man, yeah, right. well, good for you. I mean, it's right. been, it's been, but you've got a long, long list of stories that you've covered. What would you say, yeah. what would you say was your favorite story to cover or one of and your favorites? You, you know, um, that is so, so hard. You know, like, I mean, I, I remember my first big scoop. I remember this. I, re- I broke a story. I was covering EPA and I broke a story. And this was, we're talking 30 years ago uh, um, is that at the time they were talking about electric vehicles and which are the same thing we're talking about now. A lot of the same issues we're talking about now, climate mm-hmm. change and everything. And um, I broke a story. EPA had done a, uh, EPA had done a study. I mean, we're talking about the you know like early Clinton administration. Yeah. EPA had done a study on electric vehicles, and at the time, because the, most of the power, you know, most electricity produced at that time in the United States was coal, mm-hmm. and that it was actually would it was more there was more pollution produced to, to burn the coal to, to you know charge an electric vehicle at that point than it would by the the, the pollution of a, of a, uh, uh, you know, internal combustion engine, right? And they had done this study and then they buried it and because it didn't fit in with, you know, what they, what they thought. And so I got up, you know, I confirmed it was there and I wrote about it and, you know, and it got to be a big deal. And here I'm, you know, I'm writing, you know, a trade publication and then like the wall street journal is calling me for, you know, they, they put this, you know, on the front page, you know, because it was a big deal, which at that point, 30 years ago, electric vehicles were not of course where they are now. And it wasn't and the and the electric electricity production was completely different. So it sure. was, you know, it was just like a first, a big scoop. And I was like, and I re- remember being, you know, and then the Wall Street Journal is calling me to How interview cool is that? me. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and I'm writing, you know, inside EPA. So, you know, and that those kind of stories never broke through. And that for me, I'll, I'll never forget. You know, every reporter remembers his or her, you know, first big story where they were like, okay, this makes a difference. And then I remember EPA was so angry that I had written that story. And, you know, and like the, the you know, like a, I think the, deputy or the number three person EPA called to complain about it, uh-huh. you know, and, but there's other ones. I remember, you know, gosh, there are just so many on the Hill and, you know, I think, and you worked on the Hill. There are so many, you know, the people, you get to know the people and, you know, mm-hmm. you, you cover, you know, great things and you cover tragedies and, and, and scandals and everything. And, you know, but I, there are certain moments that I remember. And um, I remember I broke a story and it was sad because um, um, there was a, there was the chief of staff at the, at the foreign relations committee. Uh, Jesse Helms was the chairman of the foreign relations committee and the chief of staff was this retired admiral and he was a very nice man and he was very ill and um, he was unable to do his job. And that was holding up the committee mm. and because uh, Helms didn't want to do anything without him. And so I confirmed the story. Actually, a senator gave me the story, and I confirm it, and I write the story. And um, and Helm, I'm at roll call, and Helms calls, the story runs, and Helms calls my editor. And Helms, Jesse Helms is an old Southern, you know, senator, you know, old-time South guy, and, he, sure. and he's talking to my editor, and I'm in the room, and he's, and he, you know, he's on the speaker, and he's, and he's telling uh, the editor, he's like, that's Bresnay and Billy, he's full of hokum. 
He's like, oh my gosh! He kept saying that, and then <laughs> did he call know, you first? Did he call you first, or he kind of like went over no, you? No, yeah. Jesse Helms isn't going to call me no, first. He's going to yeah. call my boss. Yeah, and he he uh, he's welcome. He's welcome. You know, and he kept telling the story is not true. The story is not true, true. And unfortunately, you know, he, he keeps saying, you know, that the staffer is fine. He's fine. He's fine. It's like the guy, the poor man died like the next, like in two weeks he died. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> unfortunately, we would walk around for years going, everybody's in he's full of hope. It's one of those things that sort of sticks I mean, in your it's head. It's just like, you know, and when you have something like that, you have a, you know, everyone knew who Jesse Helms was. He's calling. I broke the story. You'll appreciate this Jersey person. I broke the story, the Lautenberg Torcelli feud stuff, where where oh, torch yeah. thread. That was my story. That was a that was my story. And um, the funny thing was that I had the story, and I talked to Torcelli. The torch. Everybody called him the torch. The torch. Senator yeah. Sir, Senator Torcelli, Bob Torcelli, called him the torch, and. I talked to the torch. I talked to him himself. He confirmed the whole thing. He was like, crap. And then, so then when the story ran, because I don't know if I, I, I'm not even sure what your rules are. Can I say what he said? Say whatever Is you need to say. Okay. It's so a Jersey tor- guy. Tor- who's part of a yeah. room full of Democratic senators. They got in there. Torcelli and Lambert hated each other. Mm-hmm. Hated each other. Yeah. One of the bitterest views I've ever covered. Yes. Hated each other. And so in front of a room full of people, Torch said to Lautenberg, from full of Democrats, said, um, you know, they were yelling at each other, and he said, I'm gonna uh, uh, I'm gonna rip your balls off. That's what he said to Frank. <laughs> and and all these old senators were furious at Torch because he was a younger senator, he was a junior senator, and, and Frank was an older guy, he was a World War II vet oh, or yeah. a Korea, uh, yeah, and he, they respected him and they hated Torch. And so a senator gave me the story and I confirmed it. I mean, Torcelli told me. So mm-hmm. then we're going to run the story and Torch's people, he was, he was DSCC chairman. He was chairman of the Senate Democratic Campaign yeah, Committee. Yeah, he was ruthless that in that position. They yeah. called, they call my editor and they're yelling in my ear, you cannot, you can't write that he, he said he's going to he cut his balls off. You can't, you can't do that. Mm. And so we go back and forth and we have like a screaming match and my editor wusses out and they put it in, I'll never forget it. They put it in brackets, testicles. <laughs> I was like, are you Nobody in New Jersey me? talks like that. Come on. Oh, he's like, no one's in testicles. No one, you know, and so, and then when we, the story ran, George didn't care. He actually made fun of me that we pulled our pint. He's like, I can't believe you guys put testicles. I bet he would have loved you know, it. I bet he would have loved it. Oh, he didn't care. He couldn't care less. Oh my gosh. There's all sort of like, I mean, I've had, you know, look, I mean, you make enemies up here if you write stories and you, you, some of them, you know, you can't even understand and some of them you get it, you know, I mean, it's hard. It's like you're you're writing about powerful people, you're writing about their lives and, you know, Mm -hmm. their, their, their careers. But they make the decision to live in the public. They make the decision to make these, (laughs) these choices and do these things (laughs) and then they expect to not be called for it. And that's, I think what's super unfair. And I used to always say to you, I, I would get my alerts when you were at Politico, the previous uh, spot that I, I always wanted to know what John Bresnahan was writing writing about because I knew it was going to (laughs) be the scandal. 
scandal that I would have to mm-hmm. fix for whoever it was I was working right. for at the time. And I remember being like, "Uh oh, what did John find this day?" And it was always something that you know one of our one of our members had. It wasn't always our members, but it always felt like it was. Yeah. Um, but but you have always been uh, super fair to me, and I'm so grateful for that. But these are all. I mean, I love every single one of these. But it's been, you know, it it's it's not sports, uh, but nope. it is definitely a blood sport, if you will. Uh, which brings me to my my next question, which is, what in the world is happening with the New York Yankees? <laughs> are you going to oh watch them God. this weekend? I mean, are you going to oh hold your God. breath? It's so hard to watch them right now. No, they're just crappy team right now they're you know they're you know like i don't know what they're doing with gary sanchez i like gary sanchez but they should have never brought him back mm-hmm. he's you know aaron hicks looks lost i mean you know uh sanchez he's you know he, he he's not gonna make i mean you know their their pitching is not great or starting pitching i mean cole is amazing but the rest is starting pitching. I mean, look, I, you know, and I'm tired of the Aaron Boom. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, look, he's a very nice man, but these meanless platitudes in, in press conferences, I, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I can't imagine as a Yankee beat reporter, I would have lost it already. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, <laughs> good, good that you didn't well end up with that beat. Right? He's like, you know, <laughs> you know, it's funny, but when I did sports reporting, I want to know what the, the, the interesting thing for me was, was that, First of all, it's hard to do sports reporting. It's a brutal job. I bet. It was a brutal job. Because you don't, you you know, it was a lot of traveling nights, weekends, holidays. That's mm-hmm. when games are, right? Yeah, Fridays uh, and And you're weekends trying to and... make jocks. Dumb jocks, a lot of them. I'm sorry to say it. You're trying to make it sound like they have this really great interior life. And you know what? A lot of them do and a lot of them don't. They're That's just right. ball players, right? Yeah. Interestingly enough, the women athletes were much better to cover. Oh, that's far better to cover. First mm-hmm. of all, they're great athletes. But second of all, they were just, you could have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. A lot of the guy athletes, and I hate to just generalize, but a lot yeah. of them were, you know, they were big, they were fast, they were strong. And their whole life, everybody would have been like, oh, you're so special. You know what? They would, you know, a lot of that was ability. A lot of it, you know, was not their responsibility. They were born that way or they had that, they were given that gift. Oh, yeah. Right? And, you know, some of them, it's hard work. You don't, you know, and they've suffered. They had to pay a price, especially to be, but a lot of them, they're just big guys, yeah. you know, yeah. and they just were terrible interviews, you know, <laughs> the women you could have in a conversation with, right? you know, when the men were like, you know, and you're trying to make it sound like they have this real great, you know, they're just, you know, they're just ball players, That's you know. Right. That's right. It's a terrible, it's a brutal job. All right, so draw, draw the comparison now. I mean, would you say, oh. I mean, first off, I mean, it feels like every... Well, the people f- I cover at least know how to speak. They may not say anything, <laughs> but at least they, maybe, they better know how to speak. They I mean, better. they've elected to office. They better. They totally better. Well, I think it's like, I, I think it's now, though, everybody is, it's different from even when I started. Even when I came to the Hill... I think members, honestly, I think the they're much more um, they're less candid now. Even I mean, they listen. Their politicians always lie, and I don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, I think members are much more programmed. They're less candid. They 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 on both sides of the aisle. They That's right. and they make a they make a they, I would they agree. Think, they think being anti media is a virtue mm-hmm. uh, or playing anti media at least in public. You know. 
uh, without bashing. Oh, I mean, they play public. both sides of it, though. I mean, yeah, they love to right. beat up on the media, but then they need the media as their tool to, oh, to deliver yeah. that and message. So stuff, it's then they leak stuff to us. Oh yeah, yeah, play it's a game. game. Well, I mean, look at look at Trump. Trump was you know oh, played you know the, the enemy of the people. And my God, he but he was out there every day talking to reporters. I mean, he would you know when I talked to Trump, everybody talked to Trump. You mm-hmm. know, so. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think that is, I think, I do think the general class of politician, I think, you know, is, is going downward as the country has become more partisan. This, for this last generation, especially, it's, sure. it's on both sides. I'm talking left and right. That's I'm not right. saying Democrats and Republicans. No, no, no. Become, you know, yeah. there's, and there's, it's and a bipartisan, is, <laughs> it's yeah, a bipartisan problem. Much more robotic and they're much less candid and they're harder to cover. That's right. They're just much harder to cover. They're just much more difficult. The, you know, hostility has become a you know a virtue on both sides of the aisle yeah. in some way toward the press, and it's just you know. Um, but I, you know, you can't ever take any of that stuff personally, and you just let just you know, I just ignore it and just go past it. Well, so, I think you know. that's I think that's the way you have to. That's the way you have to have to you move. Have to. And in in spite of all of that, I mean, you guys are still breaking news every day, and that's I mean, I think that's telling to me that, that the people that you do work with, uh, you know, trust is probably not the wor- right word, but maybe respect the work that you do and understand the work that you do and know that, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Ha- it being a two way street definitely makes for better, um, you know, be- better representation in the, in the media coverage itself. So John, we're getting to the end of our yeah. conversation. And my last question is always, you know, who is it that you read every day? Who is it that you think might be a good future guest for the podcast? I mean, I, you know, there's a bunch of people. I mean, I mean, I read Burgess Everett, Politico. Mm-hmm. I read, you know, Manu Raju, CNN. I read, who else? I read uh, Ashley Parker at the Washington Post. You know, those are the kind of people that I read. Um, and I think, you know, if you talk to them and they're pros, Carl Hulse, mm-hmm. an amazing person. If you can get to Carl Hulse to do this, um, he's been here longer than me. Or PK, I don't know if you've done PK yet. He's um, coming up. He's coming up. I, I'm gonna, there I'm gonna go. tell Carl. I'm gonna. Well, all of those Carl would be great would be nominees. Great. But I will, I will tell Carl that uh, that you nominated him, and, uh, oh, and yes. I'll make Carl sure. Carl is perfect. Carl yeah. is perfect. He has more stories. Than anybody, a raconteur, and by the way, an outstanding journalist, an outstanding journalist. But like when I have, he's the kind of person that, he's the kind of person that taught me how to be. He and like guys like Dave Rogers and Damon Chappie uh, and Susan Glasser, they are the kind of people who taught me this business and how a journalist act, how uh, how he or she carries themselves, how we interact with people, what is our ethics how we're supposed to act, how we responsibly do this job fair. Uh, you know, I like that you talked about that because that I think is the most important thing mm-hmm. that any beat reporter can be is fair. It's the only way you can last is if you're fair, you play it straight. You don't, you don't pull any punches. You don't favor one side or the other, you know, you just call them as you see them. So, you know, yeah. and I think what makes your reporting and the work that you do a little bit different than maybe some of the other journalists across the country is that your newsroom is the capital. Cap, the, yeah. the, the dome I mean and so you spend a lot of time you know not in a specific newsroom for your specific outlet you're actually in the hallways of the Capitol building with these other reporters like Carl Hulse um, every day so you get a chance to really sort of see how your colleagues operate and hold themselves and I think that that's really telling too that um, 
that you guys have shared that much time together and have been able to glean that kind of wisdom. So that's really great. I will tell oh, him. Oh, yeah. I will send yeah. him. No, he's a pro's <laughs> pro, yeah. <laughs> well, John Bresnahan, thank you so much for your time today. I'm so, so glad to chat with you. Congratulations on the new publication. Uh, I'll continue to read, and I'll encourage everybody that's listening in today to do the same. John, thanks so much for being with me. Thank you so much. And that's today's episode of The Friday Reporter. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing Podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.